0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 6 of the Tom Petty Project Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Brown. Uh, this is the podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. Before I talk about today's episode, I just wanted to give a shout out again to my friends, uh, Pete Nestor and Brian Ruskin. They're the hosts of the excellent podcast, Honest and Unmerciful, um, which is a record review podcast that I was incredibly lucky to guest host with them this week. It's very genuinely one of my favorite uh, music podcasts, and it's just like sitting in on two old friends um, discussing music, which is really what it is. We covered my favorite David Bowie album, Hunky Dory, and it was just a real blast to actually chat face-to-face with people I've met online, sort of as a roundabout product of starting this podcast. I'll put a link to that show in the episode notes, and I really would love it if you give it a listen. Um, Brian and Pete are really thorough in their research and in their reviews, and they have tons of warmth and personality that you'll be bound to enjoy. There's just two old friends chatting about music, which is something I think most of us do anyway. So thanks again to the the boys from the Honest Unmerciful podcast. Um, everyone else, please go listen to that episode and give them a a little bit of love online. But back to this podcast. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been catching up on album rap episodes with John Paulson, uh, and I hope that you all enjoyed those. Um, today, though, we're getting back into Hard Promises, starting with the first song from side two of the album, Letting You Go. As you know, or maybe you don't know if this is the first time you're listening, I don't embed the songs in the episodes themselves due to legal reasons and also out of respect for the Petty Estate and their intellectual property. So, shuffle over to the YouTube link in the episode notes if you want to listen to the track before we start. And you know what? Give it a listen afterwards too, to see if any of my notes highlight something that you maybe didn't notice before or didn't hear. As with Insider, although the song wasn't released as a single, a video was still produced for Letting You Go. I assume this was to take advantage of the MTV explosion which happened later in 1981. In any case, the video for Letting You Go is a fun, sort of meta, behind the scenes look at the filming of a traditional rock band video, with the musicians on rises at different heights, you know, pretty standard stuff. The video shows lots of shots of the cameras themselves and uses whimsical set pieces such as Ben Benmont kicking the camera away or Tom jumping onto one of the high angle cameras. So you should go check out that video, definitely. And again, it's the, it'll be linked in the episode notes, so, so go watch it. It's, it's quite a lot of fun. In conversations with Tom Petty, Tom tells Paul Zolo that the song was written on his Gibson Dove guitar, acoustic guitar. And in his words, it was him trying to do a Buddy Holly kind of thing. The song leads in with a short Tom fill and from there goes straight into a modified oh, 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 section that mirrors how the chorus will start later before heading straight into the first verse. And there's a cool, clean-toned guitar lick right at the top there uh, that has a very cool backstory. Again, Tom tells Paul Zolo that that wasn't on the record. It was a very last-minute afterthought. We'd actually mixed the record. So what we did was make a two-track stereo copy of the master, and as we made the copy, we actually recorded the lick onto the two-track as it was going down. So this is a hugely unusual thing to do, and it would be interesting to speak to you know, either Jimmy Iovine or Shelly Yakus about how nervous they would have been adding in a guitar part after everything had been recorded and completely mixed. Basically, if you're not familiar with the recording process, band members will often play a live version of the song through to a point that they're happy to use sort of as a bass. And then each musician will record their final parts individually or just replay certain sections if the quote-unquote scratch tracks um, are good enough to use. Or sometimes just the rhythm section might play to a really simple guitar guide track. But in any case, once all the tracks have been recorded, the producer and engineer will then mix the song so that all the levels are good, the panning of any instruments to the left or right is performed, and all the frequencies are sort of separated out so as not to clash with one another. At that point, the song is essentially finished, and it's mixed down to what's called a master, which is what then goes away to a production plant to be pressed to vinyl, etc., so to record an extra track onto the master, as was done on this song, is really irregular. And though I'm sure it's been done lots, this is the first time I've heard of it happening on such a major studio release as Hard Promises. And having said all that, you can't imagine letting you go without that laconic lick leading into it. So there's a two-bar pause before the intro, and then we have that simple acoustic strum guitar part from Tom, with Mike adding in sort of a, an ascending muted electric guitar run here and there, and just very quietly in the background. The verses are a very simple four-bar A-E-D-E progression, repeated twice before going immediately into the chorus, which itself is a repeated four-bar progression with a, a B minor added. There's then a two-bar lead back into the next verse with matched descending runs from Mike on guitar and Benmont on the organ. Through the verses, Benmont sits in the lower octaves on the organ, adding in that color to that part of the oral palette. and then in the chorus he jumps up an octave so that his part is you know, more assertive and more prevalent. And it's a fairly old sort of arranging trick, um, songwriting trick, that the heartbreakers wound into their sound to the extent that it became part of their DNA, really. you know, Without that organ, these songs would still be great, but they're always bumped up to that next level with the addition of those wonderfully soupy, tenchy parts. Speaking of Benmont, when the song goes into the bridge, we hear a really cool piano part sitting in almost in double time on the beat, adding in some glorious major chord arpeggios. I'm not sure if it's an electric piano it seems to be in the music video, or if it's just a really heavily processed acoustic piano. In the liner notes of the album, I didn't notice anywhere it says digital piano or electric piano, so I'm not too sure about that. The 12-bar bridge really makes this song pop, as it breaks the sort of easy laid-back feel the song has to this point. And Tom has been sitting very comfortably in his lower mid-range up until now, but he starts to ramp up the vocal during this section, really pushing up a full octave and more into the minor chords for the lines What about the broken ones? What about the lonely ones? In conversations with Tom Petty, Paul Zolo notes that the song showcases what a large vocal range Tom has. And Tom's response is, I only realised that recently. Someone was talking about another singer and said that they only have two octaves, and I wondered how many I have. This is in... 2005, and after this exchange, Tom goes to the piano, sings four octaves and says, oh, I probably have four. Any trained singers will know that's a pretty impressive range for a rock and roller, especially as Tom doesn't typically go to falsetto when singing in those upper ranges. I'm not going to delve too far into the rhythm section in this song. Um, Obviously, I quite often do spend a bit of time talking, especially about uh, Stan Lynch's drums, because as a hobbyist drummer myself, I tend to sort of sit and listen to those. And so for this one, it's a very simple, steady beat that Stan and Ron keep going. They're just sitting in the pocket and leaving maximum space for the melody to roll gently over your ears. It's all very reserved, very nicely played, and perfect for what the song needs. But digging into sort of a a really in-depth analysis of the drums, Stan's really just playing the same sort of progressions over and adding in some of those typical fills and Ron very much just sitting on those root notes and not doing too much sliding up around the up around the fret so so maybe yeah maybe we'll just leave the rhythm section alone a little bit because I do talk a little bit more about the drums I've noticed than uh, some of the other instrument parts so I will leave this there It's time for some petty trivia. I know you guys all like this section. I gave you a bonus question this past Friday on social media as we don't include uh, petty trivia in the album rap episodes, but maybe we should. And maybe what I should do is I should get John to actually set those and I can try to answer them during the episode itself. Your question from this past week was put the following events in the correct chronological order. Number one, the Heartbreakers play the last of the 20 night residency at the Fillmore in San Francisco. Number two, the Heartbreaker star is unveiled on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And number three, the Playback box set is released. So the correct order, as several of you hit me with really quickly, was Playback, which was released on November 20th, 1995. The last show in the 20-run Fillmore residency happened on February 7th, 1997. And some of you might have been a little bit thrown on that because they also did a, a shorter residency in 1999, but I was specific about the 20-run residency, and then the Heartbreakers received their star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame on April 28th, 1999. Your question for this week is this. Gainesville is the birthplace of several Hall of Fame musicians, but can you tell me which founding member of the Eagles was born in Tom's hometown? Okay, back to the song. This is a really mature, confident vocal performance from a singer who had settled on his sound and personality by the time the band went into the studio to record Hard Promises. You know, armed with those four octaves of range and a very deep arsenal of vocal styles that he could employ, Tom dials all that way back to really serve this song. With the tempo and melody like a lazy Sunday stroll down by the river, this track doesn't really need any punch or pain, even though it's a song about loss. You know, Not until those two lines in the bridge does any of the anguish of the song really break through. When you think about the main refrain from the song, I'm having trouble letting you go, that's quite a neat little device. The singer is clearly trying to keep it together during this breakup, but his emotions get the better of him just that once for that one brief window into his heartbreak in the bridge. Letting you go is also one of those songs where Tom throws in more syllables than you think will fit at times, and the number of those syllables also change verse to verse. Compound this by the fact that none of the lines in the second verse rhyme, it's a really nicely written lyric, and you don't notice all those little things because Tom delivers the lines so effortlessly. I absolutely adore the second verse in this song. Baby, look out your window, it's raining on your summer home. You by the fire, keeping warm and dry. There's no one as honest as those in pain. Oh honey, can you see me? Will you let me inside? I've talked before about how brilliant Tom was at painting pictures with his words, and this one is such a clear vignette. Those first three lines show you know, someone huddled up against the weather outside, but comfortable despite the rain. And then the singer is on the outside looking in and asking to be brought back into the warmth of that relationship, you know, not just the home. So it's such a clever, subtle lyric that ties up the theme of the song beautifully. You know, and then listen to the way he delivers those first lines of the last verse. It's off in the distance, but he doesn't actually enunciate the word the. It's off in the distance. It's it's almost a slur. And then he uses the road rather than the road. So again, his attention to phrasing is is always truly remarkable to me. And certainly once you start paying very close attention to it. Just gives a slightly different flavour to the songs, and he does it so often that you don't always notice it. Okay, folks, that's all for this week. Letting You Go is a wistful, easy-listening, mid-tempo ballad that harks back lyrically somewhat to the first couple of albums and Tom regretting the demise of a relationship. But rather than being a really angry, bitter song, there's a... A genuine sweetness to most of it that is, as I said, jarred slightly by those two more anguished lines in the bridge. Overall, it's a song I don't listen to a ton in my playlist, but one that I always enjoy whenever I'm listening to Hard Promises as an album. Learning about that guitar lick and really listening closely to Tom's delivery, uh, it's definitely raised it a bit in my estimation. And I might surprise people here by giving Letting You Go a 7. It's a very subtle, refined vocal performance and a good piece of writing. And if I was doing half points, I'd probably go seven and a half. Um, You know, But that way madness lies. So I'll stick with a really solid seven and say that compared to the tens on this album, I think that's probably about right. Um, But I'd be more than willing to accept that it's an eight. Or if some of you think it's not even a seven, let's have that discussion online. The warmth and ease of this song is such a lovely break in tone and sets the mood for a second side that has more tenderness to it than the first. Please remember that you can continue to support humanitarian efforts in the Ukraine uh, in many different ways, and I would urge you to do so if you have the means, even if you have done so before. As always, I've added a link to the Red Cross donation page in the episode notes, and I will continue doing that. Um, Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project, and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. Uh, And of course, you can find me on YouTube. So go follow, like, subscribe as applicable, and please leave a review or a rating if you haven't done that already. Uh, keep talking to me on social media. Um, I really enjoy the interactions that I have. Um, and I'm going to give a shout out in the next episode, I think, to some of those people because I do have. I'd say probably 8, 9, 10 people or so who comment on my posts quite regularly and always very, very kind. Um, so I'd like to give a few shout-outs next week, so listen for those. Um, the Tom Petty Project is not affiliated in any way with the Tom Petty Estate. Uh, and When you're looking for Tom's music, of course, as I always say, please go visit the official YouTube channel first or any of the authorized streaming platforms to try and find what you're looking for. If you're looking for merchandise, please go to TomPetty.com because everything there is official merch and all the money goes back to the estate. Don't forget to check out the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook. Um, They're excellent communities, and if you are not part of those groups already, they're well worth hanging out in. Until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week to talk about the second song from Side 2 of Hard Promises, A Thing About You. Bye-bye.